Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. Good weekend, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me, and if you're a returning listener, then welcome back. If you're a newcomer, maybe this is your first episode of the program, well, welcome aboard. And if you are a supporter through Patreon, that's patreon.com slash Show. then a super big thank you uh, for your ongoing support. And uh, I hope you're enjoying uh, things like early access I have a couple of new ideas that I'm going to uh, add to the uh, the Patreon package, and one of those actually I believe just came official this past week. Uh, up to this point, uh, the only way to join was on a monthly basis. Now I believe it is up and running that you can uh, sign up and uh, for a one-time payment uh, that will cover the entire year, so it uh, renews every 12 months. But if once a year is something you like more than monthly... Uh, then check that out at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Let's get right to it. No question of the week uh, as uh, this episode is actually coming a little bit late. And that's because I, I really wanted to have four interviews on the program. I had one interview done in the middle of the week and I, I was waiting to hear back from three other guests that I intended to have. And two of them came through, but very late in the week. And the fourth one that I was uh, trying to secure uh, ended up falling through at the end. I hope uh, to have somebody from that team on next week. Uh, but unfortunately, so I, I was pushing the show back, pushing the show back, and finally I said, okay, well, it's now it's, uh, as I'm speaking with you right now, it's Saturday. I got to get the show out. So I had intended to have four guests on this week. It's going to end up being uh, three guests. Uh, and I uh, did not get a, a question of the week uh, set up. That said, we do have some uh, news and notes to go through. Uh, let's start. Well, hey, the NHL is uh, back. So that will get a lot of fans excited. From a uh, prospect perspective, uh, there's well lots of guys who are making their NHL debuts this past week. And a lot of uh, players this year is such a, an unusual one that, you know, in, nor- in a normal year, 18 and 19-year-old CHL players, you're either in the, the NHL or you're back to major junior. Uh, this year a little bit different because there is no OHL or WHL season, at least not yet. Uh, it's been granted that uh, you know a 19-year-old player or an 18-year-old, as long as you're signed by an NHL team, you get to play in the American Hockey League uh, this year until 
the WHL or the OHL get up and running. So a guy like, well, here at Edmonton, uh, let's just take the example of uh, Jake Neighbors. He's signed by the St. Louis Blues, uh, so he is with their uh, American League team right now. And there are a great number of players like that. So an interesting season from that regard. Here's the uh, the question of the week. Who's your pick for the Calder Trophy this year as the NHL's Rookie of the Year? You can send that to me at TPS underscore Gee on Twitter. Now, speaking of leagues like the OHL and the WHL, the queue is starting up again next week. Junior A across Canada has so far uh, not returned to uh, action. Uh, most of the leagues had started and then stopped. And, of course, uh, the OHL was supposed to start on February 4th. That's not going to happen. The OHL, the WHL was supposed to start on January 8th. That uh, got pushed back. Now it's open-ended. They're saying the plan is to have, they're dedicated to having a 24-game season, uh, but no projected start date. I think most people are sort of thinking about late February, early March. Uh, but, again, COVID's going to decide that. But what is interesting is... There's been some development in terms of be, of players finding other leagues to go to. And, and it was a case where a guy like Dylan Gunther here with the Oil Kings uh, started to play with the Sherwood Park Crusaders. Matthew Savoy also played with the Crusaders. And that in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. And they were allowed to do that until December 20th. But then the AJHL shut down in uh, early December and that all got wiped out. Well, some WHL players wanted to go to the USHL, especially American uh, guy, guys with uh, American passports. And four of those players were told by, I mean, it was quoted by Mike Johnston from the Portland Winterhawks that they weren't going to release those players until it was determined that, uh, the, uh, you know, the WHL wasn't going to have a season. And that's a couple of weeks ago that came out. Then it became announced about this 24-game plan and yet still, the Winterhawks have now released those four players. Clay Hannes, James Steffen, Jack O'Brien, and Cross Hannes. They've all now uh, reported to the Lincoln Stars. And they're not the only ones. Cole Sillinger of the Medicine Hat Tigers. He's now in Sioux Falls. Luke Toporowski from the uh, Spokane Chiefs. He's also now in Sioux Falls. And Matthew Savoy, who had been in Dubuque for a little while but hadn't... Uh, played any games he is now officially on the roster and uh, yesterday he played for the fighting saints had two goals and an assist in that game so he's off to a great start in his ushl career so i found it interesting because here you had mike johnston saying that wasn't going to happen so long as there was a chance that the whl was going to have a season now why do you, do you ask that question and i certainly ask that question too why not let the players go and then just bring them back at the end of the, uh, or once the WHL started. Apparently it's not that easy. I'd, I'd heard a few different uh, takes on it, that the if, if a player left the WHL to go play in the USHL, he would not be able to come back until next WHL season. I'd also heard uh, a variant of that, that it would be he couldn't come back until the USHL team was done for this season. But regardless, it, it seems like, Let's say, hypothetically, the, the WHL starts on March 10th. Well, Portland is short four players, a couple of them key guys for them. Now Medicine Hat will be without Cole Sillinger. Luke Toporowski from Spokane Chiefs is a, a key player for them. And, of course, Matthew Savoy for the Winnipeg Ice. When would they be eligible to come back to the WHL? Let's say the league starts on March 10th. USHL is going to go until the end of April, playoffs in May. 
So are those dub teams now without some of their star players? And if that's the case, should we, as followers of the outsiders looking in at the league, should we be thinking, okay, the teams know there isn't going to be a season? I don't know if that's the case or not. I actually traded messages with a an executive that works in the WHL for a little clarification on the situation. And I'll be honest, I don't think everybody, anybody really knows 100% what's happening. Uh, but the response I got was, if a player goes to the USHL, they transfer to USA Hockey instead of Hockey Canada. January 10th is roster deadline for USA Hockey, and all teams in Canada do is name the player to their affiliate player list, as we do with players that are in midget, etc., and then bring them in at the end of their season. So we see that quite often. A guy is able to play five or six games normally, unless you're Matthew Savoy or, or Kirby Doc, but it's five or six games until their Bantam team is done for the year or their midget team is done for the year, and then they're able to come up and play in the WHL. So a similar situation there with USA Hockey. This uh, WHL exec goes on to say, the only thing is that with USA Hockey, an affiliate player is only allowed to dress a total of six games. So when their season ends down there, they will be able to come back, but only play six games as a U.S. affiliate player. That's the normal rules, which I don't expect to change unless USA Hockey changes their affiliate player game totals because of the pandemic. So some question there whether the normal rules are still in effect. It goes on to say the USHL season doesn't end until the end of April, and then they have playoffs, which first round will likely go until mid-May. I don't see these guys coming back this season. So that's a huge loss for some of these WHL teams. But maybe there's some pressure from the players, from those players, and, and maybe their families that, listen, if, if we're going to play 24 games in the WHL, and you know, there's a lot of questions, are there even going to be playoffs? Is there going to be a Memorial Cup? Just let our kid go play in the USHL this year. He'll come back to the w next season. Everything will be back to normal, fingers crossed, I, you know, air quotes. But for now, the kid's got to play. Maybe there's some pressure like that, that that's happening. And, and maybe there are some other things going on, some other things that factor into it that aren't public knowledge that I'm not aware of. I don't know. But at the moment, I, I think a guy like Matthew Savoy is now in the USHL at the very least until the Dubuque Fighting Saints are done playing this year. I don't think he can come back and play for the Winnipeg Ice in March. That's my understanding. And maybe there'll be some clarification on that from USA Hockey or the WHL or, you know, from the Winnipeg Ice. It, it all seems, well, let's be honest, these are weird days. And it seems like uh, this is just another case where we can file it under the weird column. How much will change? You know, let's, let's assume for a second and just uh, talk about uh, what a return to play for the WHL looks like. How many imports will there be? I think it's going to be a challenge for some guys to get their import players. I wonder if there'll be some relief on the uh, overage player situation in light of that. No, I'm not suggesting that maybe guys will, teams will get to dress six or seven overage guys, but the, the basic rule is three. Maybe they allow four or five uh, because you can't have, or teams will have trouble getting their, to import players in. I think that was something that was brought up with uh, Ron Robinson way back in whatever it was, November, when he was doing his uh, Zoom chat with uh, a bunch of media covering the league. I did ask somebody else uh, around the WHL uh, recently about uh, the thought of playing in bubbles. The Quebec 
Major Junior Hockey League is returning next week, and they're going to try to do these little bubbles every uh, where they'd have three or four teams just kind of meet in one city, play a bunch of games, and then have another bubble a couple weeks later. Could that work in you know a place like BC or or Alberta or Saskatchewan? And I saw recently Greg Grinnan's uh, column where he summarized uh, a conversation between Bruce Hamilton from the uh, Kelowna Rockets who had a conversation with uh, a Travis Lowe from uh, a TV station in Kelowna. And one of the ideas brought up there by Hamilton was that, uh, he, and the quote is, we may look at some kind of a setup where we would move one or two teams into Kamloops and one team into Kelowna and then limit the travel. So the likely scenario there would be Prince George coming down to Kamloops, playing out of there this year, Victoria and probably Vancouver coming to Kelowna, and then you've got five teams relatively close to each other, sort of a mini-ish bubble that way. Remember when I did ask somebody else uh, about that scenario for Alberta, for Saskatchewan, it was pointed out to me that the cost of, of having a classic bubble, let's say you just get all five Alberta teams, Medicine Hat, Calgary, Lethbridge, Red Deer, and Edmonton, could you get them all, say, in Red Deer for three weeks? like the NCHC did in December, and just play for three weeks straight, you know, a game every couple of days. You're playing four games a week for three weeks. You know, you get 12, 13 games under your belt like that. How expensive that is, though, and that was the point brought out to me. We're not talking about Division One NCAA programs that have a lot of money. You're talking about hoteling, say, 30 people for three weeks, feeding them, all of the equipment that costs, all of that stuff, that's got to be a sizable chunk of money. Then you're going to play games without any income. Right now, anytime these teams are playing, they're losing money. They're losing money, period. But they're losing money when they play because there's an expense to do it. But I would have to think the OHL and the WHL are exploring all options. It's different, again, because of, you know, with the WHL, you have one entire division south of the border. Whereas the OHL, you got three teams south of the border. You'd like to have them involved in the league if it gets back to playing. What do you do with those teams? Well, that's one of the subjects that we talked about this week on the show with one of my guests. We'll get to that in a second. I think the bottom line is nobody knows exactly what's going to happen. I don't think. Not yet. There are so many factors and so many balls in the air. that I think there's an appetite to have something happen this year. But it's such a complicated task. Uh, I don't envy anybody that's involved in organizing everything. From the league standpoint, what a challenge. I, I hope it works out. I hope it works out safely, obviously. I feel for a lot of people uh, around uh, junior hockey for obvious reasons. And, and I've been saying it the last several weeks. It's got to be tough for people around the OHL and the dub to not have been able to play at all. Junior A hockey started, then stopped. The Q has started and stopped and is about to start again. The USHL had a delayed start but has been playing. The NCAA has been playing. The NHL is now playing. So will the American League. The ECHL has, well, some of it has been playing for a while. So it's got to be frustrating, I would think, for people around the OHL and the WHL who have to, to watch other leagues doing it and they haven't been able to get off the ground yet. That's got, I would I would think that's got to be really frustrating. Just announced in the last uh, day or two, the government in Saskatchewan has is going to give four million dollars to junior hockey franchises, three million to the WHL teams, and a million to be split up 
between all the uh, Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League teams that to help them get through uh, this pandemic. Very similar to what happened in uh, Quebec back in, what was it, the summer or the fall? Uh, not to do the same amount of money, but more teams, uh, more major junior teams in Quebec than there are, is in Saskatchewan. But it will help. You wonder, will we see that in uh, Alberta? I'd be surprised. Uh, or BC. The, pro- the problem with it here in Alberta, and the reason I say I'd be surprised, is you have two WHL franchises that are owned by NHL owners, which means we're talking about billionaire owners. I don't know how you can exclude them. I, I think if you give it to any, you got to give it to them all. But you've got a community team in Lethbridge that's uh, playing in the same league as the Edmonton Oil Kings, but the financial pockets uh, a little bit different, let alone Red Deer Medicine Hat involved as well. I, th- I would think that if uh, Daryl Cates and the Oilers and slash the Oil Kings were to receive some money from the provincial government, uh, I think there would be uh, some anger. But I, I feel for teams in the Alberta Junior Hockey League who now are seeing uh, some uh, some of their counterparts in Saskatchewan getting uh, some support from the government. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here in Alberta. It sounds like the BCHL and the five WHL teams in that province are teaming up to uh, talk to the government. So that that's going to be interesting. Let me know what you think of uh, that scenario. Uh, you can tweet me at that as well, at TPS underscore Guy. I mentioned the USHL still playing and uh, Matthew Savoy with two goals and an assist yesterday as the Dubuque Fighting Saints beat the Waterloo Blackhawks 7-4. to Top scorers in the league, still three guys from the Chicago Steel leading the way. Matt Coronado with uh, 38 points in 18 games. Sean Farrell with 32 points and Eric Middendorf with 30 points. Then you've got Cameron Berg and Daniel Gushin with uh, 24 points each from Muskegon. So uh, quite the gap there from the top players back to the rest of the pack. Uh, Speaking of Chicago, I I missed it when it happened, but I noticed it today. Right after the World Junior Championship, they added uh, Slovakian goaltender Simon Lakotsky, and they also had the rights to a Czech forward Thomas Mazura, who's played in North America the last number of years, was drafted by the Edmonton Oilers. He was supposed to play in Chicago this year. That never happened. He was playing a little bit uh, overseas. I think he was in Sweden. Well, the same day that they acquired Simon Lakotsi, they traded the rights to uh, Thomas Missouri to the Des Moines Buccaneers this, uh, just earlier this week. And he is expected to play the rest of the season in Des Moines. Has not played just yet. And Lakotsi hasn't played a game yet for the Chicago Steel either. But uh, that's a nice pickup for the Steel. Lakotsi, who... Did play with in the USHL last year for the Madison Capitals. Not a big goaltender and didn't have great numbers last year, but uh, with Chicago, you can imagine he's going to have a much better team in front of him. And uh, good to see Thomas Missouri getting into some of the games for the rest of the season as well as he's barely played this year. Yeah, he got into three games uh, playing in Finland this season. Three games, three points. But he was playing uh, prep hockey the last four years all in the States at Kimball and is coming off a season where he had 73 points in 35 games. He is scheduled to go to Providence College next year, so definitely wants to get some action under his belt this season. Speaking of college hockey, a number of uh, games as uh, Division One keeps rolling forward. One 
postponement yesterday. BU and Massachusetts were supposed to play. But games that did happen, Quinnipiac and Colgate played. I watched a, a good chunk of that game. A couple of Detroit Red Wings goaltenders, Keith Petrozelli and uh, Carter Guylander, uh, involved in that one. The Bobcats beat Colgate 3-zip. The scoring race in the NCAA, it's uh, kind of a runaway right now for Odin Tufto from the Quinnipiac Bobcats. He's got 25 points now after just 14 games. That's seven more than anybody else. Bobby Trevino from Massachusetts. Matt Copperud in Arizona State and Brandon Cruz with Bowling Green all have 18 points. They're next. Grant Hebert, or Bear, from Robert Morris has 17 points. The next big name that casual fans will recognize, Shane Pinto, drafted by Ottawa, plays at North Dakota. He has 15 points. And Kent Johnson, who is draft eligible this year and having a great start with the Michigan Wolverines, he also has 15 points through 13 games. Jordan Kawaguchi, who led the NCAA in scoring last year, has 14 points, and it goes on from there. Let's get to the guest list this week. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline, and uh, this breaking news from Troubled Monk. Just saw it on their website. They're giving away one free can of one of their cocktails. Could be the Epitaph Gin and Soda or the uh, Adequate Vodka and Lime. Select one free canned cocktail with every online purchase. And of course, you can get those online purchases at troubledmonk.com. You use promo code PIPELINE, and uh, those deliveries right to your door will come at no extra cost. I like to get the taster pack because I like to have uh, several different flavors. kind of depends on what I'm eating or what a, what kind of a mood I'm in. There's four different uh, brews, so you get three cans of each. And for myself, I, it's not like I'm drinking uh, you know, a six-pack every night or anything, so I might have one or two. This uh, The last couple of days, I was uh, dipping into the uh, Pesky Pig. And you really have to check their website out all the time and keep checking because there's new stuff popping up all the time. There's a new one. Sea Serpent Northwest IPA. Haven't tried it yet. Can looks fantastic. So another one to put on my wish list. So TroubledMonk.com is where you would place your order. Make sure you use that promo code. Just one word to remember. Pipeline. Here's the guest list that I have for you today. We'll start with a conversation I had in the middle of the week. Mike Stubbs, the longtime play-by-play voice of the OHL's London Knights. Get the latest on uh, what's happening or not happening in the uh, OHL. And I promised you we would start having 2021 draft spotlight segments to uh, talk about and with some of the guys who are eligible for the next NHL draft. I was going to have two of those this week, and one of them is the one that fell through. The other is uh, Cole Huckins, who is a six foot four, two hundred and ten pound center from the Acadie Bathurst Teton. Not a whole lot of buzz about him yet. I don't know why he's way over a point per game player, but his ranking—you know—there's not a lot of people who have a, a ranking publicized that's beyond the first round. Uh, but those that do, he's like in the high sixties, early seventies. So I was curious to uh, find out what's happening for him. Uh, so we uh, had a chat on Thursday. So that'll be our second segment. We'll uh, end things this week. As I said uh, a couple of minutes ago, I really feel for a lot of people in junior hockey right now, not being able to uh, get a season going or uh, have your season started and stopped. I don't think there's anybody I feel worse for, though, than a guy who's going into his last year of eligibility. You know, guys may have played three or four years in, in the league and might not get to play again. Well, one of those guys is Ethan Cap of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Had a, uh, a really strong conversation with Ethan on Friday. 
And I think you'll get a real sense of just how difficult it is for somebody like him in the position he's in with the uncertainty of this year. So we'll start with Mike Stubbs, the uh, longtime voice of the London Knights. That's up first here on the Pipeline Show. Jameson starting out of his own zone for the London Knights. Now a pass to Kachuk inside the blue line. Kachuk waits, scores! Matthew Kachuk! The Knights win the Memorial Cup! Hi, Mitch Marner of the London Knights. It's Max Jones. It's Cliff Brook. Hey, it's Ole Uwalevich. Hey, this is Andreas. Happy to see you. Silas Parsons. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights, and you are listening to the Pipeline Show. Spruce Grove St. AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at SG Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash is King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of the Pipeline Show. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. You have my curiosity. With Gee Flaming. Now you have my attention. This is the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we're going to head to Ontario and get an update on what's happening, if anything. With the Ontario Hockey League, we've just had a news or sort of an update from the Western Hockey League that they, uh, there is a plan for a 24-game season. They don't know when it's going to start, though, so is that pie in the sky? Are they just uh, sort of uh, putting that out there so that there is some sort of idea that they're still thinking of having a season? Uh, meanwhile, the queue is uh, going to be back in action here right away. Uh, south of the border, the NCAA and the USHL keep playing uh, and dealing with COVID stuff when it pops up for them. But what about the OHL? Well, let's find out. And uh, Mike Stubbs is the uh, longtime voice of the London Knights. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Mike, how are you? Gee, great to be here. Well, I'm I'm down in a basement as far down as I can get in my house, and I think this is where I'm supposed to stay. You got a bunker. It's uh, Yeah, you know what? It's not as bunkery as you'd like a bunker to be if you wanted a bunker, but uh, uh, this this is kind of where we're supposed to be in Ontario right now. We got an update from the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, and his government. A state of emergency has been declared in Ontario. A stay-in-place order has come out, and there is real concern over cases of COVID-19 in this province. Well, I, on the one hand, that's good to hear because I think it's uh, there's been parts of the world that haven't taken it as seriously as it needs to be taken. How bad has it been in Ontario? Uh, how, how is it, like, has it affected people that you personally know? Well, I do know people who have had COVID-19. I have a family member, not immediate family, mm-hmm. but outside family member that has had COVID-19. So it has come that close. And as far as the province goes, you know, it's it's been handled here not too bad. As, as the Premier likes to say, the people who are willing to do what they've been asked to do or doing it. It's about the people who are unwilling to do what they've been asked to do. Mm-hmm. And they kind of peg that sometimes at 30%. Today, that's kind of the number they threw around, that they feel they need to reach 30% of people and somehow let them know how serious this is. 
So in terms of the province, the healthcare system has not been overwhelmed, but we are seeing modeling that shows that it could be. And so that has kind of prompted the state of emergency and that has prompted the stay at home orders. And from a, a, a sporting perspective, I guess in the province, uh, have, is minor hockey going on at all at any level at junior A? Are the, uh, the four junior A leagues playing? And obviously we know the OHL isn't. The NHL is about to come back. Uh, so where are things uh, at for everybody else? Well, minor hockey teams have had little spurts of activity and have been able to play a little bit and have had to go from different guidelines that have seen them, you know, their numbers taken down from how many you can have at one end of the ice or the other end of the ice. As far as the junior leagues outside of major junior in Ontario or in, sorry, Eastern Ontario in the Ottawa area, they got playing games and they would essentially have a team that would buddy up with another team and they would just play two games against each other every weekend. And they did that for a few weeks Mm -hmm. in kind of the Southwestern and the greater Ontario junior hockey league, which kind of covers areas. If you know, Ontario at all from say Kitchener and Guelph through to Niagara region and all the way down almost to Windsor. And that's the greater Ontario junior hockey league. They had been scrimmaging against each other and had been using modified rules where there was no body checking, where if a goaltender covered a puck in the zone, it was almost like playing two on two basketball, but instead of clearing to the three point line, you had to clear to the blue line. And if somebody scored, you had to clear to the red line. And that was working out not too bad. The the games ended up being a track meet, but then some coaches would get the idea that, and this wasn't necessarily in the Greater Ontario Junior Hockey League, but some coaches would get the idea under a format like this that, hey, you know what? If we just fire the puck down the ice for an icing, all we've got to do is clear to the blue line, and then we can attack again. So it was becoming a different game for a little while, but it did have players on the ice. It did at least have them skating, developing skills, because that's been one of the biggest parts. As far as the Ontario Hockey League goes, there has not been activity. Players have not reported for training camps as of yet, and they had a date of February 4th set. That has now been delayed, but in terms of any additional information outside the fact that it's been delayed, much like you heard in the Western Hockey League, that's where we sit. We haven't heard any updates following that. There's got to be a sense, and I'm starting to to get the sense from out here that, I mean, people are looking at other leagues like the Q and like the NCAA and the USHL where they are playing, heck, basketball, NBA, and the NFL. It seems like every sport is playing except for the OHL and the WHL and most of, I think, Junior A in Canada, if not all of it, and yet some are still able to play. There's got to be a level of frustration. Why can they play but we can't? Are you hearing more and more of that right now in Ontario? You know what? I've had a chance to speak with quite a few players, and, and I don't hear that. Uh, they certainly would like to be playing, but it's not kind of a, you know, take a, a towel and throw it on the floor in frustration. It's not that. They understand that this is kind of how it goes. When the OHL stopped play in March, you had a lot of teams, the Ottawa 67s, the Kitchener Rangers, the London Knights. They were in really good spots had been playing really, really well. And the players accepted it and said, yeah, okay, well, this is the way that it's going to end. And so I don't sense necessarily any frustration. We have had some draft eligible players who have gone over and played in Europe from the OHL. And whether we see that number grow, not sure, but those are all loans. They would be able to come back to their OHL teams if a season can get going. Guy, kind of the, the things that they're dealing with right now that maybe 
have gone outside of, of keeping players safe, which is paramount. Um, the things that you have to look at with regard to the OHL is maybe the, the number of American teams. They have three American teams. And right now, as we all know, the Canada-U.S. border restrictions have been extended. And it's maybe a little bit more playable for the initial stages in the WHL when you think, well, they have a whole U.S. division. Yep. And in Ontario, you don't. You have Erie, Pennsylvania. You have Saginaw and Flint, Michigan. And those are the teams. And David Branch, who is the commissioner of the Ontario Hockey League, has made it very clear that this is an all-for-one, one-for-all league where you're not going to say, well, these teams can start, but these ones can't. They want to find a solution that works for everybody. And so that's something that they have had on the table, and there hasn't been a great solution as of yet. But I think it's about, first of all, getting some of the spread down in Ontario. The U.K. variant has been found in Ontario now in 14 different cases. You don't want to see that take off. So I think for the foreseeable future, it's, it's more about doing what's right and keeping people safe, and then they'll hopefully be able to set something up to to still have some sort of a season, maybe, like you say, like the WHL has set up. I think everybody's still hoping for that, and uh, we're just hoping that uh, – that we have an opportunity to do it. We need everybody in this province to say, yeah, I get it. All right, I'm going to stay home. I haven't heard from uh, from uh, Ron Robinson about it, uh, a firm deadline if, you know, if we get to a point where they just say, okay, we can't, the season's done. Any idea what that would be from an Ontario perspective? Would You know, if we don't have, if they haven't started by mid-March, is, that, is it just why bother? I don't know that they're at that point yet, and I don't think they want to get to that point. I think there's dialogue that, continues to happen between the member teams and the league and again it's just kind of watching numbers and watching restrictions and those sorts of things and we're as restricted right now as we kind of have been since this began if you go back to when things sort of shut down that's kind of where Ontario is again and so I think the next few weeks the next month they still have some time in that way I think that you know, that is what the league is going to be watching very closely. How do things get impacted? How about the rollout of vaccines? All of those sorts of things. And then they can make some decisions that way. I don't think anybody wants to take that same old towel and instead of throwing it on the ground in frustration, wave it in the air. Nobody's ready to do that yet, but it's about safety and uh, it's about making sure that the things can operate in a way that works for people. If and when things uh, do get back to normal, uh, I, I think it's uh, fair to expect that uh, a lot of these CHL franchises, they're going to have to be creative with their revenue streams and find new revenue uh, ways to make more money because uh, they've all been taking a hit here with this layoff. Things like uh, advertising, uh, co- corporate logos on uh, equipment and jerseys, now that it's kind of started with the NHL, should we just assume it's going to happen at the CHL level as well? Well, it wouldn't surprise me in that way. It's one of those revenue streams that has been there, and it's how you want to do it. And I I really think, Gee, you tell me what you think, but you credit the NBA for saying, or the Canadian Football League for saying, you know what, you can have advertising on uniforms and not have it dominate the uniform. Right. And I think the CFL did a very good job of that, going back way before the NBA. Maybe we credit them first, and then the NBA certainly able to do that where you can have a sponsor and you can have sponsorship dollars coming in from it, but it doesn't have to dominate. And 
Sure. I mean, why not? That's something that the National Hockey League has certainly experimented with and will be experimenting with on helmets this year. We see numbers on helmets. We didn't used to see that. That's right. That's actually helpful. And now we get an opportunity to see how it works in the National Hockey League. But you're right. There, there will have to be creative revenue streams. I hope the teams are able to make it through this stoppage. We do have some smaller markets that you would have to say, okay, how, how are they going to be affected? And then you have to wonder how the market themselves has been affected. How is that city being affected? You know, how many jobs have been lost? That sort of thing. And I think we're still yet to, to see and to understand that. But that could certainly become a factor as well. And I think in the end, everybody just wants to have something to cheer for. And in junior hockey towns, as you well know, junior hockey gives you something to cheer for. And that's what we're all holding out to hope happens. Mike Stubbs is the uh, voice of the London Knights. You can hear him on Global News Radio 980 CFPL in London. What's your take on... Right now, the uh, the 18, 19, 20-year-old uh, CHL players, normal in a normal year, it's NHL or back to the CHL. This year, a little different for the OHL and the WHL guys. If they're signed, they can play in the American Hockey League. Uh, I'm wondering if uh, now that that genie's out of the bottle, uh, is this going to be a permanent thing, do you think, or is this really temporary? You have to wonder what junior hockey general managers are are thinking right now because, sure, if that happens, that changes a lot of complexities of the way that they do business, the way that you draft. Mm-hmm. Right now, if you think if you are looking at a 16-year-old and you know you have a phenom, junior hockey teams, as strange as it might seem, you might think, yeah, well, that phenom is going to be around for two years, and then they're off and running. What if I take this really, really, really good player who might be able to provide four years of junior hockey. That's always been a question. And then if you were to throw that wrinkle into it, that's that's tough. That's that, It's a cyclical league. I, I can't even imagine how general managers' heads must spin sometimes in trying to work out depth charts even a year ahead or two years ahead of who are we going to have. And then you throw in the opportunity for guys to maybe go to the American League a little early. They still have that agreement to work out between the NHL and the Canadian Hockey League, and it's all going to come down to that in terms of how the rules work. And I think it'll come down to how things work out as well for the players. The the one argument you can always make, and I know this has come up before, but it's it's a tough jump sometimes to the American Hockey League because you're going from what would be a a high school-slash-college-university setting where – all the team hangs out together and you've got 22 brothers on the team to all of a sudden you're in the American Hockey League and you're one of the few guys that doesn't have a wife or a child. Right. And everybody is, you know, taking off after practice to go and be with their family. And you're kind of hanging out with maybe one other person or two other people. That's that's tough sometimes for an 18 or a 19-year-old to get through. Some of them could, some of them maybe not. I love the exceptional status rule in major junior hockey where you kind of put somebody through, you know, not necessarily testing, but certainly pay attention to more than just what they can do on the ice. And would they be ready for this? If they were going to do something like that, that's, that's what you'd like to see. And it's tough to say, do that when somebody's 19 years old, they're age of majority. They should be able to do something like that. But at the same time, you want to make sure that their development is ready. It, it would come up to the teams, and uh, it may be an experiment that sees 
maybe more players go to the American Hockey League at first, and then I, I really hope it comes down to what's best for the development of the player if, if that's the way it goes. Yeah, I like it as a short-term thing. Right now, while the OHL isn't operating in the WHL, at least those players have somewhere to go play. But there, to me, there's also the aspect of uh, player safety. Uh, suddenly you're having an 18- or 19-year-old battling in the corner in front of the net with you know a 30-year-old. Um, that's a little bit I, – I mean, there's reason to be concerned with that too. And concussions and all of those things, I think that's something to be concerned with. That's a great point. I was talking with Corey Perry and Danny Sivret during the holidays about the 2005 Team Canada that won gold at the World Juniors in North Dakota. And one of the things that both of them brought up was the exhibition games that they play against the U Sports players. And they said, you have to realize how hard these games are, even then, because you've got players who were really good major junior players, some of them that had cracks at pro or were drafted, and all of a sudden, instead of being 18, 19 years old, these guys are 22, 23 and wanting to show they can still play. So it is that kind of an atmosphere where the body changes a lot. You look at going from the age of 18 to going to 22, 23, 25, yeah, your body's a whole lot different, and you do have to kind of factor in that safety stuff. That's why I'd love for it to become almost an exceptional status type thing where this player, yeah, we feel that, that this would be best for his development. That option exists. And this player, you know what? They still have some physical maturing to do or whatever it happens to be. Maybe they go back to junior. But that gets into a, a, a pretty muddy situation, I think, where mm-hmm. you say, well, this guy can do it, but this guy can't. Uh, yeah, that's that's going to be a conversation that has been had and I'm sure will continue for a long time. Yeah, and I wonder if you almost have to regulate it somehow that maybe an NHL team has, they can do that once every three years or something like that just so it – it doesn't start getting abused. Or there'd be a team, say the Oilers, because they always seem to be picking in a, with a lottery pick, they might be wanting to bring a guy to the American League early every year if that was the case. <laughs> yeah, and if you do something like, well, top five picks or top ten picks or yeah. whatever it is, then sure, you get those players or the teams that draft players on a more consistent basis. How would you work that out? This, Yeah, this is one this is like figuring out salary cap stuff. You sit down, you need a calculator. I, I don't know what kind of calculator we'd need to figure this one out, but it would certainly, it's, it's always been so cut and dried where the Canadian Hockey League agreement with the NHL is if you're not playing in the NHL, you're playing in the CHL, but there's been that growing push to make some changes to the rules. And you're right, Guy, there's, there's an opportunity to have that conversation very openly based on what happens this year. With the uh, WHL's uh, draft, they've pushed it back, the 2021 draft. Normally it would go f- out here, it goes in early May. Uh, they've pushed that back to uh, December of 2021. So it'll still be the same players, the same age group. Uh, it's just being pushed back, what, six or seven months. And then there'll be another uh, draft again in the in the spring or in May of uh, 2022. Has there been any sort of uh, update on what the OHL is doing for their draft because all those players aren't playing right now, right? That's true. And that's, you know, imagine being a scout right now. Uh, this, this is tough. When you go back to September, the league had designed a return to play. And what they had done was they had hoped at that point that we were going to see at least a little more improvement or that continuing improvement from the summer in terms of case counts of COVID-19 
As far as the 2021 OHL priority selection goes, it is scheduled for May the 8th, um, at least at this point, at last check. So that would be a little bit later than it had been. Sometimes they have it kind of first Saturday in April. So this would be a little bit later. Whether they make changes to that, I think, as David Branch, the commissioner, has said a couple of times, everything remains on the table. So difficult for scouts to know who's going where, who's doing what. And so you're right. I mean, the the leagues, the the OHL, the WHL, and the QMJHL certainly have close conversation, and it wouldn't be surprising if they followed suit to do the exact same thing. That's going to be an impossible task for a scout. And the big difference between the dub and the OHL for the draft is you draft a guy in May and he can play for you in the fall. Not the case here in the WHL. That guy's not playing for your team for 18 months normally. Um, so it doesn't matter if you draft him in May or, or December. He's still not helping you in that uh, that coming season. That's a big difference for the OHL, though. It is, and it, it's a, a real difference for the way that the pipeline of new talent works. So it may be that the Ontario Hockey League can't necessarily wait till December, but to move it a little bit. But again, if players aren't playing, it doesn't matter whether you have it in May or June or August. You still have to go based on whatever it is you're going to go on for yeah. your scouting reports. And as much as you know, players are identified sometimes before their draft year, or you might notice them if they're playing up or things like that, or certainly hear their name. You know, you don't necessarily spend an awful lot of time on a guy at the age of 14, and that would be who they would have to have been looking at if you go back and, and kind of use two years old scouting reports. They just wouldn't exist. <laughs> Man, just imagine the differences a, a player can go through from 13, 14 years old to 16 years old, night and day. Oh, I can't, I don't uh, envy the scouts uh, this year. Uh, that's for sure at all. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate your time as always. Hopefully the next time you're on, we're talking about uh, games that we're uh, watching on the ice and, and we can get a little bit closer to normal. But until then, uh, stay safe, my friend, and thanks for doing this. You stay safe as well and really appreciate the time. And I love that word, hope. We're all hanging on to it pretty tight. And uh, one day it'll it'll come around again and uh, and hope will turn into action. Mike Stubbs of the London Knights, and we ended it uh, there talking about the OHL priority selection. And I, I, I can't even imagine how are you supposed to scout games and players that aren't even happening? How do you know who to add going by scouting reports that are two years old? That's that's a that's a big ask. Uh, and uh, man, I uh, well, I'm kind of envious of the the scouting community because you know it'd be fun to be a scout. Uh, but I don't envy that sort of uh, task this year. That's got to be a challenge for sure. We'll see how it all plays out. All right, up next, uh, 2021 Draft Spotlight segment. We're going to head out to the East Coast. The Acadie Bathurst Teton off to a great start this season. Then COVID came and uh, interrupted the year. While well, they're getting back to action here next week, Cole Huckins of the Acadie Bathurst Teton off to a great start. He's six foot four and 210-ish pounds. More than a point-per-game player. He's not getting talked about it, uh, with a lot of buzz as a high, you know, as a first-round pick or anything like that. But we got to know him. We'll share that conversation with you next here on the Pipeline Show. And Raymond stays with him. Lafreniere pokes it ahead. Still has it. Rolling puck. Lafreniere works in. Shoots. Scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar in the making! 
Okay. This is Alexis Lafrenière of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris wow, what a goal. and Duncan Keith Goal! Future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Fabro all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung, Bob. It's The Pipeline Show, and we're going to continue on with our uh, 2021 Draft Spotlight segments. Uh, of course, you know we do this uh, throughout every season. Talk to a bunch of the players who are eligible for the next uh, NHL Draft. Last year, man, what a uh, what a mess that was. Eventually, the draft being held in October, but as of now, I think we're expecting everything to be pretty much normal, but... Uh, in the time of COVID, nothing is really normal, and uh, my next guest knows a lot about that because both of his seasons spent in the queue have been affected by the pandemic. Cole Huckins from the Acadie Bathurst uh, Titan, or the Teton. Uh, welcome to the show, Cole. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate you making the time for me today. Let's start with that and just how your time in the the Canadian Hockey League both seasons have been affected by the pandemic. That's there's got to be a level of frustration uh, with that. Uh, where, what's your mindset like right now? Yeah, it's definitely not what I expected when I I came to Bathurst as a 16 year old. But it, I've learned some things from it, and I feel like everyone's just trying to stay safe. And the leagues are really pushing this year to make it work. So it's been special that I'm still able to play during during the pandemic. But definitely in a, a regular season would would be nice COVID free. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Uh, last season, regular season was cut short, playoffs completely wiped out. This year, the queue starts and then stops, and there's been some hiccups along the way. And uh, getting ready to come back now, what's the difference, or how do you feel about things right now, having played a little bit this year, but there's been some up and downs? Uh, what's uh, what's the what's kind of the mood of the team right now as you get set to try again? Uh, I think everyone's just really excited to have the chance to play again guys are in quarantine right now so they're they're doing their 14 days and i think everyone's a little bit tired of the just sitting in a hotel room but i think the whole team's just really looking forward to being able to play and hopefully the the plan the league league wants to do will work and we can get our games in and hopefully the playoffs up until the stoppage, your team had been pretty, playing pretty well. Third in the league in terms of uh, points, but because a lot of the teams in the league haven't played nearly as many games as, as you have in uh, Bathurst, you're still fourth in the league in terms of winning percentage. So no matter how you look at it, it's been a good year. Yeah, it's definitely been a good year. We we came off pretty hot, so that's that's really exciting. And then we got some nice pickups uh after Christmas, so I'm really excited for the the second half. I always wonder what that means to the to the guys in the dressing room when the franchise goes out and acquires players. I know some other guys have left the team as well, and there's I'm sure there's some uh, you know disappointment with that as well. But uh, when uh, when the team looks like they're taking a shot at it, that's got to give the rest of you a boost. Yeah, it's definitely really nice. You know, uh, last year was a tough year, so getting Bellamy and Badner coming in, it's it's really exciting, and 
like I said, I think I think we can keep going. We had a strong start, and we're adding tools to continue that in the second half. Cole Huckins is my guest. He plays for the Acadie Bathurst uh, Tito. Uh, Cole, what we like to do in this segment of the show, the 2021 Draft Spotlight, is get to know a guy that's draft eligible. We can talk to you about stats and all that stuff, but let's get a little bit of background uh, first, if you don't mind. Uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Fredericton, New Brunswick, and then I went to Quebec for two years uh, and attended Stansted College, so I guess I've spent time in Fredericton and and Quebec, so a little bit of the mixture of the two. How old how old were you when you started playing? Do you remember? I mean, were you classic? You know, <laughs> grew up in the backyard uh, rink and all that stuff. Started skating uh, before you could walk. That type of thing. Yeah, my my whole family's played hockey, so I was on skates pretty young in the in the backdoor rink. And me and my dad and mom used to do like little games and stuff. That's how I kind of started out. I see uh, the Elite Prospects page uh, lists a lot of uh, relatives who have uh, played uh, a lot of uh, hockey. So this is, you know, it's it's in your genetic code, would you say? Anybody that's got a Malone that played in the NHL seems to be related to you. <laughs> yeah, uh, my family has definitely been, been around the league. And I don't know, it must be something in the Miramichi water or something like that. <laughs> but it's been it's been working. Well, Miramichi, I was actually born there uh, once upon a time, a long time ago, back in the uh, early 70s when there was an Air Force base there, CFB Chatham. That's actually where I was hatched. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, So you go from uh, Fredericton, uh, and you said you went to Stansted College. Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm I'm thinking Mark Jankowski, probably the uh, the biggest name that uh, came from the program? Yeah, I'd say Mark's Mark's pretty big there. Uh, Get drafted out of Stansted in the first rounds, really. Something you don't see very often, so I think the school thinks very highly of that. Now, at the end of that year, you get drafted by uh, Acadie Bathurst, a first-round pick, 16th overall that year uh, for the Teton, and uh, you're also drafted by Waterloo in the USHL. Did you have, uh, I mean, obviously you had options, but did you have a choice to make there, or did you know already at that point which direction you were going? Yeah, um, I was pretty honest with uh, with all the Q teams that I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, and I told the the USHL teams the same. Uh, I didn't know. I wasn't sure if I'd go to the Q USHL or, or back to Stanford for another year. I really just took the summer to decide, and Bathurst took a chance on me. And I really, really happy how that turned out, and fell in love with it. Kind of, it's been been perfect since. So, what tipped the scale in favor of uh, Acadie Bathurst and uh, and the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League as opposed to going the college route with a stop uh, in Waterloo first? Uh, just just being away from home, Bathurst is only three hours away from my family, so they get to see all the home games when we go to St. John. So I just get to see them a lot more. And Mario and and Sly have been been great to me, and I just really felt felt good about Bathurst when when we when we talked about it. All right. Last year, uh, as a rookie, uh, 38 points in 64 games, 13 of which were goals. How do you feel about last year? Obviously, just before the pandemic and all of that, just in terms of the hockey and how how you played. Uh, I thought it was a good good year, really. Um, we were a little bit of a rebuild mode. We were we were a lot younger, so it was definitely difficult at times when you're playing a, a load at Moncton with a bunch of first round picks, mm-hmm. but. I thought it was I thought it was a good year and I didn't really go in with any expectations just kind of wanted to learn and and make the most of it and I felt I did that so it was it was a good rookie year and 
I've learned a lot on the ice and off the ice. Now, what's the difference going into year two, uh, where you're now more than a point per game guy, seven goals, 19 assists, or excuse me, 19 points in 15 games. Um, so that the offensive production, although it was there last year, it's even increased a lot more this year. Why do you think that is? Uh, just bigger, stronger. Um, you know the league a little bit more, you know. I think 16 and playing against 19-year-olds, 18-year-olds is is big is a big jump for for anyone. So I think just adjusting to it last year, and I got two great line mates this year in in Digger and Marco. So they definitely make it a look a lot easier than it is. But I got to give a lot of credit to those two guys too. Now, if you're going to give them good credit, you got to uh, tell you can't just use the nicknames because the casual listeners uh, that might not follow <laughs> the queue as closely uh, won't know who they are. Uh, so. <laughs> Who are Marco and Digger? Matthew uh, Digonier, our captain, and then Felix Marcotti. All right, perfect. Now this year, obviously, it's your NHL draft year, so there's uh, an extra bit of uh, incentive for you, if you want to put it that way. But uh, with the way things have unfolded here with the pandemic, and we talked about frustration not being able to play, thinking about the draft, that's also got to be frustrating. You're trying to showcase yourself, and you can't get onto the ice. And as bad as it's been in the queue, you know the OHL and the WHL haven't played at all, so this has got to be a frustrating year for all of you draft-eligible players. Yeah, I think everyone's uh, a little rattled about it, and it's definitely odd times with, with COVID and everything, but just trying to make the most of it and definitely getting a lot of practice time in, so make the most out of practice, but definitely would uh, would like to play some more games and be able to play in front of the, the fans and everything, but like I said, I think everyone's just trying to make the most out of it and, and do what they can do until until the draft and everything kind of gets back to normal. Now the sheet I'm looking at uh, lists you at six foot three and uh, about two hundred pounds, a little over two hundred pounds. Uh, I don't know how up to date that is. Uh, where are you at right now? Uh, I'd probably be around six four and probably around two ten, two oh five. Uh, put on a little bit of weight while while being Bathurst this year, which has been good. Uh, a lot of gym time, not as many games, so the trainers and stuff have really been been on me in that way. It's been good. Well, I put COVID weight on uh, during the lock, uh, the stoppage, but uh, <laughs> a little bit different, I'm sure, for you. Does it feel different when you're on the ice after you've put on some more mass and some more muscle? And and uh, I mean, height wise, you ha- are you done growing upwards? Uh, I'd say so, but I really don't know. I'm just trying to yeah. eat my vegetables and, and see what happens. <laughs> Stretch out even more. It's got to feel different on the ice. You, you must certainly uh, have a a height and size and reach advantage uh, against uh, a lot of your peers. Yeah. Uh, after the stop to play last year, I left Bathurst around 180, and I came back around 200. So this summer, I I was able to really – it was an extended summer, so – I got to really work on my, my lower body and just be in the gym more than what I would be in a normal off season. So coming back, I definitely felt bigger and stronger and I, I, I like where I'm at right now, but definitely want to, want to keep growing in the gym. As long as you don't uh, slow down or anything like that, right? There's, there's a, there is a risk yeah. of getting a little bit too bulky. So how do you manage that? Yeah, I just play around with it. Um, at one point in the summer, I was, I want to say around 210, and I was skating, and I, I didn't like it, and I dropped down around, I'd say, 195, and I felt a little bit lighter. So I'm just trying to play around with it and find that pocket nice. where, where I feel good. Yeah. 
Uh, Cole, for those of us who haven't had a chance to watch you play live, can you give us a, a bit of a scouting report? What's, uh, you know, we go to watch a, a Teton game, what should we come away expecting or go into it expecting to see from you on a nightly basis? What kind of a player are you? Uh, I think I'm a power forward. I think you'd see me finish some hits, um, give my, my uh, line mates passes in the slot, create odd man rushes, uh, break up plays. I think I think you'd see just a really hardworking player and someone who's able to see the passing lanes and, and, and bury the puck. Are you more of a setup guy than a shooter? I mean, you're putting the, the puck in the net as well, but is your first instinct to uh, to set up a guy? Yeah, I think I'm a little bit more of a pass first type of guy. Maybe sometimes my coach says you got to shoot a little bit more, but right, right. I'd say I, I look for the pass before the shot most of the time. Uh, I got to be honest, I hear that a lot from players, especially you know being told be a little bit more selfish, shoot the puck because you can do that. But for some guys, it's a tough mental uh, flip of the switch that you got to make. Is that difficult sometimes to go against your natural instinct and be a bit more selfish? Yeah, um, I don't know. You you make the pass, and if it's a backdoor tap, and you feel great, and then you try and make the pass, and the D man breaks it up. The next time you're going down on a on a two on one, you you're thinking shoot. But I think it's really whatever the defender and goalie is doing. You just kind of got to read off it. But I think you get in your head a little bit too much sometimes when when a play doesn't work out, and you get back, and even the winger says, "Ah, you you should have shot, Cole." You. <laughs> You're hitting yourself on the head a little bit, but it happens, right? That's true. Uh, what's next for, for you and the team? Are you get back uh, to playing, what, next week? Yeah, that's what we're hoping. We're I think the league's talking Monday about it, and hopefully we can get back to games in the 25th and, and see where it goes from there. Excellent. Uh, did you have a favorite NHL team growing up, Cole? Uh, yeah, Pittsburgh. My my uncle and and cousin played there, so I wasn't really allowed to cheer for anyone else in my house. It was it was all Pittsburgh. And did it uh, change at all when you know they'd go to a different franchise or something like that? Yeah, I became a Tampa fan for for a little bit, but it's pretty hard to go against Sid the Kid. You gotta That's you gotta true. like Sid. So mixture of the two, I'd say. And a maritime guy at that. Uh, Cole, listen, I really appreciate uh, I appreciate your time. Great to chat with you today. Uh, and I wish you and the uh, the Tito and everybody in the queue the best of luck. And let's, uh, let's have a full season here, or at least finish it out this year. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to the season. That was Cole Huckins from the Acadie Bathurst Titan, or the Tito. If, if you're someone who has had a chance to watch him play, let me know, because... Again, I've said it a few times. I, You see a guy that big, as productive as he is, I have to wonder why he's not uh, talked about more. But I haven't seen him play, so maybe there's skating issues or something, and, and that's on me for not asking him, because usually I do. You know, I did ask the question about a self-scouting report. I usually follow it up with, you know, what areas your game are lacking, and I didn't this time, so that's on me. Maybe I'm rusty for... Uh, doing the draft spotlight segments. So I'll have to ask uh, scouts when I get them on, uh, or if you have seen them play, you can let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. One more segment to get to. It's a good interview. In some ways, it's a difficult interview. My guest, his name is Ethan Cap. He's played with the Edmonton Oil Kings for the last four years. He's going into this would be his last year of junior eligibility. Talking about a former first-round pick. In the Bantam draft, here's a guy who 
has pro potential, is looking to earn a pro contract, can't even get on the ice. Things right now are difficult for a lot of people. We're going to look at it from the perspective of a guy in his skates. Ethan Cap of the Edmonton Oil Kings helps me close out this week's episode of the Pipeline Show next. I'm Trey Fitzwilanski of the Edmonton Oil Kings. At his own blue line, now Fitzwilanski cutting in right circle, dances around his man to his backhand, forehand, he scores! Oh my goodness, Trey Fitzwilanski! What a move, what a shot, what a goal. Oh mama. And this is the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week is the one that started it all. Tell us more about this classic, bud. Golden Gates Golden Ale. An easy drinking golden ale that you can use as your gateway to craft beer. This beer highlights the best malt in the world grown right here in our backyard. Player comparable, Nathan McKinnon. Underrated, yet awesome, every time out. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. Troubled Monk craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream will rise to the top. Oh, yeah. The cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. This is The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we'll continue on with this week's episode. We're going to catch up with a, a WHLer who... Well, he's going into his final year of eligibility, and we don't even know if we for sure we have a season or not. So a lot on the line for a lot of players, and no more so than for my next guest, uh, Ethan Cap of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Capper, welcome to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate that you making the time. Tell me what's been going on for you, as not a whole lot for from a hockey perspective. Uh, what has the last six or seven months been like for you? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Um it's yeah, it's been this weird cycle of um, you know, ramp up the training, get ready for uh you know, the start date that they put out. Um and then they push it back and it's kinda of back to not square one, you know, 'cause you're six months into your training, but mm-hmm. you um you make some tweaks and adjustments in your in your training schedule. Um I've taken a one or two weeks off a few times now. Uh, just to reset and um, really clear my mind, because um, every every time that it gets pushed back, it's like a little, you know, punch in the gut. Um, so you know, a couple of weeks off here and there. Um, I've been doing some skiing, I guess, to you know that helps clear the mind, helps uh, keep me distracted a bit. But for the main part, yeah, a, a lot of skating. We've been fortunate enough here in BC to have the rinks open for the majority of this. Um, so a lot of skating and then a lot of time in the gym, really getting ready for uh, hopefully a season. Is that a difficult thing to do to uh, with your training, your off-ice training and just your scheduling, your diet, all of that stuff to get ready for the regular season? I'm told a very regimented thing in an off-season in a normal year where you kind of start at the same time each summer and you're doing the same sort of schedule each summer. And because this year is completely thrown out the window, 
is it challenging to to time all that properly for the start of the season and who helps you with that well, well yeah bang on um a regular off season yeah it, it's it's been the same for four years i usually get into the gym at the same time and then start tapering things off at the you know a, a certain point in august uh towards training camp as it gets closer and then yeah this year obviously is flipped all of that upside down um it's it's mostly been me taking care of it um i I like being hands-on and kind of making the decisions and all that um but it's yeah it's been hard to adjust when when the date does keep getting pushed back right originally um they had that target date for november 15th i think it was so i was starting to taper off coming into the fall or, uh, sorry, as the fall went on, and then they pushed that back again. Uh, so I could kind of take a step back and go, okay, where am I at? Do I rest now? You know, do I, you know, kind of keep the foot on the gas here? Um, and then January 8th, uh, I was pretty confident that that was going to happen. It really sounded like that was going to, that like that was going to happen. So I was pushing it there going into December. Um, and then, you know, again, pushed back again, and now, it seems like they're pretty optimistic, uh, especially with the last couple of days. Um, but yeah, the, the tweaks, I do as good as I can, but at this point it's, uh, <laughs> it's not exactly science. Yeah. I know we traded messages back in, I think it was November. You're kind of asking me, what am I hearing? I'm asking you, what are you hearing? Cause just nobody really knew, but with all the, uh, the discussion globally about, you know, uh, the, the vaccines are starting to, to roll out there was a level of optimism that, all right, maybe we will actually get back to some normalcy. And then when that January 8th uh, date gets pushed back, and now it's kind of open-ended, there's a plan, hopefully a 24-game season, but no targeted start date, which is maybe the smart way to do it now because you don't want to set one and then have to cancel it again. But all this uncertainty just keeps dragging on and dragging on. What's your mental state like right now? It's, you know, I'm not going to say it's great. I don't think anybody that's sitting out right now is feeling too uh, too good about sitting at home for the past 10 months or I think whatever it's been now. Um, and then, like I said, every every time they push it back a little bit, it's like a little punch in the face. Um, that's really all you want to do, right? You want to get back. You want to get on the ice. Everybody's been training for a while now. Everybody wants to play some games. Um, those, you know, the guys that are off at the in the AHL, NHL right now are, you know, they're lucky they get to, uh, they get to go out and play. We're still sitting at home. Um, but you do the best you can, right? It's, you can sit at home and you can, you can sulk, you can feel sorry for yourself. You can, you know, blame other people, whatever. Um, but you, you know, for me, I to try to do the best I can, um, you know, to get out of the bed in the morning, um, and start working towards something. Um, like I'm, I'm pretty confident that they'll find a way to make the season happen, and that's what's been driving me. Um, is that I, I'm pretty confident that somehow, some way, we will get on the ice this season uh, and play some games, whether those are, you know, meaningful games or whether it's you know kind of a placebo season of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, yeah, it, it might make it a little different, but for for me especially with it being. Um, being my last year uh it'd be you know i'd probably regret it in 10 20 years if i went into this season half prepared um 
and sulking throughout the whole thing, right? Well, of course, I mean, there's a lot on the line for you this year. You're playing for a, a pro contract or to set yourself up for a path through U Sports, if that's, you know, something that you're considering. This is a, this is a, an important year for you. There's a, there's lots on the line. Yeah, that's, um, especially the last couple of months, that's been really at the, the forefront of what I think about every day. Um, you know, I started thinking about school a little bit, but my, you know, my, my goal throughout my five years in Edmonton has been to, to try to make that next step to, to the pro ranks. Um, and this year was looking, it was looking really good, right? We have a mm-hmm. hell of a team assembled, right? Like if there's any year that we were going to do it, this is, this is the one, um, we got a great team. So it all was lining up pretty well. Um, and I was feeling better and better about how I was playing year to year. Um, but yeah, that's, that's still the goal. Um, you know, 24 games, 48, 68, 72, whatever. Um, just to get even an opportunity this year is going to be big. Um, and that, yeah, like you said, that, that's what I'm really pushing for. So, you know, it, it does kind of, it does suck, obviously, if it's only going to be 24 games, but anything I can get at this point, uh, I'll take. Oil Kings defenseman Ethan Cap, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. I would have to think it's also tough when you look around and the NHL is starting. You mentioned you've got teammates. A guy like Jake Neighbors is signed now and can play in the American Hockey League, so he's playing. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League started, stopped, getting ready to start again next week. South of the border, college uh, hockey is happening. The USHL is playing. I think, really, it's it's Junior A, although Junior A started and had to stop. The OHL and the Dub, the only two leagues I can think of that really haven't done anything, and that's got to be frustrating. Why why can those guys play, but we can't? Is you ever look at that and kind of get frustrated that way, too? Yeah, it, it is. It's funny you mentioned that, too, because um, yeah, I, I got the group I train with at uh, at the gym. We've been going strong for the last bit, um, and just it's just down to me now. Everyone else has left uh, you know, to Montreal, a couple guys in Pittsburgh, um, one in Columbus. Um, so everyone, everyone kind of filed out in the last two weeks and now I'm sitting there, you know, the only one still going. Um, hmm. and yeah, you're right. Like the USHL, the, the NOL, they're all playing a uh, bunch of guys bouncing over to, to Europe. Um, ton of guys started playing like a SJHL, MJHL, all that. But, uh, I was thinking of doing that actually in, um, in December when everyone was kind of jumping board to the junior A leagues. I was trying to, I was looking at, um, some beach CHL teams to see what, what could happen. And then I guess that turned out to be a good idea to kind of sit, stay put, um, and keep training because they played, I think, seven, eight games each a piece yeah, yeah. of preseason play. And then everything obviously, uh, came to a halt there. So I, I, I guess that was the right play, but even just to get some games in would be nice right now. You're right. You look at the guys going over to Europe, um, you know, they're all finding ways to play. And then, yeah, you know, seeing guys like Jake and Robbie end up uh, at the NHL camps, like it's, it's cool to see. Cause you know, I've seen those guys come in at uh, like, you know, from when they got drafted at 14 to their 15 year old seasons, and then to kind of grow into the players they are now, it's really cool to see them, uh, you know, kind of from step one, getting into the league to, to really cracking some of the big ranks. Now that's really cool to see. Um, but yeah, you know, you you can't help feel a little bit envious. Yeah, 
that's probably a good word for it. You're right. Um, that, yeah, you know, I'm still sitting at home here and guys are on the ice, but you know, it's the way it is. Well, let's hope that changes and the, the WHL is able to get going uh, sooner as opposed to later. And, and if, and when that happens, you mentioned it, the Oil Kings would have to be considered one of the favorites going into this year. Tell me about the, the sort of the evolution of the Oil Kings since you're coming into the, uh, into the league and onto the team back in 2016, uh, 17. Boy, that must feel like a, a million years ago at this point. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Me and, um, I, I was talking about that actually just recently with uh, Wyatt and, and Scott Atkinson um, because I don't, I, I'm not sure if it's out yet, but uh, our video coach, Michael Chan, mm-hmm. um, he took a job with the Toronto Marlies just recently. And I think that leaves, it's just me, Wyatt, and then Rogues and Cheese left from uh, my first, my 16 year old year. There's only four people in the entire organization that are still here you know uh, wow. even on the business side of things it's that's right it's been a complete overhaul well so thus they include Corey graham in the mix he's still around yeah yeah you're right sorry yeah sorry how, how could i forget uh <laughs> cj my bad um but yeah so you know i come in at 16 and then you know you know pretty well it's pretty well documented those weren't two of the greatest years <laughs> yeah yeah it, those were tough you know we were in the dumps kind of bottom of the bottom of the barrel. I think when I was 17, we finished worse than the CHL. Even we had first overall pick in the import draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was, it was so cool to see uh, all that, you know, all that time spent <laughs> at the bottom of the, of the standings uh, pay off going into that, uh, that one playoff run year where we made yeah, the Eastern conference finals against Prince Albert. And even just recently now, I can't help thinking of how weird it is that that game six that we ended up losing at home to PA, um, how that could, you know, possibly be the last, you know, the only or the last playoff game I play, right? There's no guarantee that there's going to be playoffs if we do start up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's a bit of a bigger feeling thinking that, you know, we won't really get to see that route. Um, you know, I'll be using kind of hard work and, and sacrifice you know the organization turned over a lot of people to try to get it going in the right direction and you know the the, the two years where we realistically should be you know at our peak you know last year and this year um to to think that we might not get well we didn't get the opportunity last year but to think that we might not even get it this year to at least make uh a run at it is it's yeah like i said it's a bitter feeling um but i'm cautiously optimistic that you know they'll find a way this year ethan uh off the ice with your time with the oil kings and here in edmonton i, I mentioned the evolution of the team but how have you uh grown and evolved as a as a player and as a person uh <laughs> it's you know a lot of the cliches that you hear from from uh graduated players from the league stand pretty true right they, they say things like um like you know days go slow years go fast and it's true like it it does fly um and it does change you as a person you know like you come in as a you know kind of wide-eyed 14 year old i guess uh at the very first camp you go to mm-hmm. um and then yeah think back on it now you know going in they'll be i'll be turning 21 this season um it is really, it's weird to think about, um, 
especially that evolution, I think me, especially, um, with the amount of turnover that I've seen with the team, right? Like I said, there's only three, four people left in the whole organization from when I came in. Um, you meet a lot of people, you get a lot of new perspectives on things. Um, and I, that's, I think, um, touch with friends with, um, over the years, uh, and in the years to come. So it's, yeah, it's a hell of a ride. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm really just hoping that it doesn't kind of come to a screeching halt here. Uh, I forget, forgive me for not knowing off the top of my head, but have you had opportunities to attend uh, any NHL camps? I know you're not drafted and you're, you're looking to, uh, attract a, a pro attention, but, uh, have you had that chance to, to go to a camp? Um, I went to the Oilers rookie camp after my 18 year old year. So that, that year that we did make the playoff run. Um, and that was really cool. Like that was, you know, that's so far, that's the, the, the peak of my hockey career, right. To, mm-hmm. to go to an NHL camp, you know, it's, it's a rookie camp, but you know, still that's, that's, that's a big deal, right. That was a first. Um, so yeah, that, that was really cool. And then obviously I'm pushing to hopefully get back there. Now, do you look ahead to what comes after your eligibility is up, your junior eligibility? Are you weighing the the, the U Sport option? Uh, and w- if you are, what are you thinking about? What sort of uh, f- uh, things factor into what you choose to do? Yeah, that's I've definitely been weighing that um, those kinds of things recently, uh, especially as you know we turned into the new year. Um, but really, the it's going to come down to how this year goes like if we if we do end up getting a season in um it depends on how i do and my my whole mentality going into the year is i'm pushing for a contract whether that be uh an nhl one an ahl one um or even something like uh like los yavo did uh after his 20 year old year right he went and played a a year in europe right and i know he loved that so i i think that would be a really cool experience um so really anything like that, that's, that's my goal, but I've always, I've always figured I'm going to end up going to school one way or another at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it does come to that, then I'd, I'd have no problem. Yeah. Going, uh, going somewhere to study. And then, you know, it doesn't end with, with youth sports. That's pretty obvious. You got a guy like, um, who was it? Phil yep. a couple of years ago was coming out of the U of A. Derek Ryan did it. Uh, it was another guy out of the Maritimes. I can't remember his name a while back. But um, but yeah, no. If like if you want to go use sports and use it as a stepping stone to uh, you know Europe, minors, AHL, whatever. It's in talking to a guy like uh, Connor McDonald, who's at uh, UBC now. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just kind of going back and forth over how he's liking it, and he's still going pretty hard training. Um, and he was saying, you know, he'll you'll go as far as you, as you want in, in the CIS. Like if you're willing to show up and work and if hockey's still kind of your number one while you're there, it's, it's not the end of the road. Uh, makes a lot of sense uh, for sure. But hopefully uh, we get to see you on the ice uh, wearing oil King sweater again uh, before any of that happens. And uh, that uh, those uh, pro opportunities will, will come your way. Ethan, I really appreciate your time. Uh, again, let's hope uh, to see you in Edmonton here uh, sooner as opposed to later. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Ethan Cap of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Difficult situation. I mean, I think everybody can sympathize uh, with uh, 
the situation from his perspective and for others around the Western Hockey League and the OHL. And he can extend that to U Sport guys as well. You just you know, you just wonder how it's going to play out for players like that who don't have the unless rules are changed they don't have the option of coming back again next year so how desperate they are to get on the ice yet realizing there's a pandemic still going on and uh, everything's got to be done safely but definitely feel for a guy like that and I hope a pro option comes his way because I I've always liked him I I think he's a a really good stay-at-home defenseman I wouldn't expect big points from him but he's big and physical Man, he would have been a dominating force on the back end this year. It's another Oil King defenseman, Wyatt McLeod, who is an overage player this year. You know, having a pillar like a, two pillars like that on the back end. And uh, although I, I guess I can't assume that because Scott Atkinson is uh, also an overage player, the captain of the team, and they acquired Kate Oliver to replace Riley Sawchuk as a, an offensive forward in his overage season. So they had four, and I don't know if uh, they were. You know, as the rule is currently, you can only keep three. So I don't even know which guy would be the odd man out. Hard to look at uh, what Wyatt McLeod and Ethan Cap do and what they mean to the blue line and think one of the them is expendable. Yet Scotty Atkinson's the captain of the team, and if Kate Oliver is acquired, you have to think that he was going to be here. I don't know what the Oil Kings, uh, what the plan would have been. Maybe they get some relief uh, with maybe import players. You know, uh, if they're not going to be available to the teams this year, maybe they, maybe the league says you can have up to four or maybe even five overage guys, or it's a combination. Maybe you can get one of your imports over and have four uh, overage guys and one import. I don't know. I don't know what the situation or what the solution there is, but I really feel for a guy like Ethan Cap and the others around the league uh, going into their last year of eligibility and not even being able to get on the ice right now and and show what they can do. Try to earn that uh, that step to the next level. Tough situation for everybody. That wraps up this week's episode. I appreciate the time from Mike Stubbs, Cole Huckins, and Ethan Cap. And uh, looking forward to next week's show where I have a couple of guests already in the hopper. We'll try to continue on with the 2021 draft spotlight segments. And the queue returns next week. So uh, lots to talk about. And looking forward to doing that with you. Uh, again, thanks to all of my guests who joined me courtesy of the Troubled Monk Hotline. Remember to use your promo code PIPELINE. And if you live between Calgary or Edmonton and all points in between, actually Calgary and St. Albert, right along Highway 2, all the little towns along the way, and uh, throw Sherwood Park into that mix as well, you can get free home delivery. Just use promo code PIPELINE. Thanks again to all the uh, patrons at patreon.com slash show. You can sign up monthly or you can now do it annually as well. You have uh, two options for you. Check that out and you can enjoy early access to all the interviews that you hear on the program as well as some other stuff, uh, some stuff I'm going to introduce here uh, shortly. So check that out at patreon.com slash show. Till next week, everybody. My name is Keith Flaming. See ya.